welcome to Top Hole, the podcast about Eleanor M. Brent Dyer, the chalet school and anything vaguely connected. It's a Wendy week, woohoo, and the usual provisos apply with respect to pronunciation, spoilers and bonkersness. But before we get into our discussion of Joey and Jack's finances, I wanted to tell you a little bit about the theme tune. I was quite clear from the outset that I wanted Top Hole to have a theme tune because it helps to get listeners in the right place for listening. And I wanted it to sound like a school hymn, like the start of the TV adaptation of RF Delderfields to serve them all my days, for example, and to have a little bit that we could separate out to use as a way marker during the podcast itself. I was also acutely aware that I needed this piece of music to be copyright free and with no charges to pay. The most straightforward way to achieve this was to write it myself. I have no musical training whatsoever, but I made up a lullaby for each of my babies, so I figured I could probably come up with something which would do the job. I started to think about this seriously while travelling in the car one day. The school's motto appears to be onwards and upwards, although I'm not sure if this is official or how it came about, and the school's song is named as You'll Get There, described as having a rousing chorus. And whatever I wrote needed to sound like a hymn without being overtly religious. So I started thinking, and somewhere along the elevated section of the northbound M5 near Gordano, I typed the following lyrics into my phone. Onwards, upwards, marching with a prayer. Onwards, upwards, the burdens one to share. Onwards, upwards, a joyful heart prepare. You'll get there, you'll get there, you'll get there. The tune emerged as I developed the lyrics, and I spent the rest of the journey trying to hammer this into my head. I can read music, but I can't sight-read for the voice or convert what I'm singing into notes that I can transcribe. I need a keyboard or a descant recorder for this, and it's very easy to lose a tune altogether before I can get to a keyboard. But in this case, I managed to link the words to the tune, so I was able to transcribe it as soon as I got home. Unfortunately, I didn't transcribe it accurately. When my husband, Kit, entered it into his music software, we found I'd put minims where I should have put dotted crotchets and so on. I'm no Nina Rutherford. But Kit was able to sort this out and create the effect of somebody playing it on a piano in a school hall. He then recorded me singing it. I sang it straight the first time, then as Joan Baker the second time, slouched, barely opening my mouth, and as Ailey Russell the third time, enthusiastic little girl voice. Kit multiplied these voices using the software and the result is what you hear today. Kit occasionally plays around with the tune and one day he added glockenspiel chimes. We need that for the Christmas episode, I said, so look out for that next time. Hello and here we are again. Hello. Excellent. Right, if we just pick up a couple of things from our previous conversations first. Yeah. So, yes, we are going to have to do hair too. Yes. At some point, (laughs) because we managed to discuss hair without once mentioning Redheads at the Chalet School, a book whose ludicrous plot hinges on hair. Yes. So, So we do need to come back to that. And also, I've discovered that Madge never had her hair cut. That's amazing. Yeah, so that was in Exploits. Um, Joey makes some comment to Simone about shouldn't you have had your hair cut over the summer before we came back? And Simone goes pink and says, well, actually, Maman says I need to grow it now. And and in that conversation, Simone says, after all, Madame has never had her hair cut. Wow, yeah, so we really do need to sort of So we do sort that out. And I think the reason I thought Madge had short hair is probably because of the cover of the second style chalet school paperback, The School at the Chalet, with long-legged, 
booted, mini-skirted Madge walking away from a chalet. There are goats in the picture. She's got curly, short, curly, shaggy hair and a beret she's wearing. And I think that's become my image of Madge, sadly. Yeah, yeah. Well, she might have had some of her hair tucked in the beret. Yes, maybe. But anyway, we <laughs> probably need to look at that more. I'm not sure that's an entirely authentic picture of what Madge actually <laughs> So we need to come back to hair. And then, I mean, I keep coming across smoking references <laughs> in the later books. And the latest one I found was in Reunion, when Griselle offers Len a cigarette. And and Len's only like 15 at this point. And, um, and Len says, no, thanks. We've promised not to until we're 18. Oh, OK. That's... So that's good, I suppose. That's a more modern sort of view. Yes, it is, isn't it? <laughs> A more modern woman is never ever start, isn't it? Yes. But yes. Okay. Leave that. So, so those. Well, smoking. I don't think we need to come back to again. But hair, I think we'll need another discussion on. So we have had a listener query, which is underpinning today's conversation. And the, the, so the start point is: where do Jack and Jeremy get all their money from? <laughs> Never thought about it. Yeah, I, I think it's a fair question. So I said, "Well, I'm going to fire up a spreadsheet and get onto this," but actually. I don't think it's a compli- as complicated as I originally thought it was going to be. So when they're living in Guernsey, so that's when they're first married, they, they start out fairly modestly. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a relatively small house that they're in. They don't have a massive amount of help. And that reflects, I think, their financial position at the time. Is less modest when they get to Armisher at Plasquin. That is a bigger house. It's a bigger household. One of the reasons for that is that they have um, lodgers living with them effectively at various points. Robin and Daisy both live with Jack and Joey and they are legally, both of them, Madge and Jem's responsibility. So there must be some sort of financial arrangement there towards the cost of their board. You'd have thought, yeah. Yeah. Um, they have Flora and Fiona, the Highland twins, come to stay with them at some point. Frida lives there for a little while. Elisa Vita lives there for a little while during the war. So, so that's all potentially offsetting some of the costs of running the household. So, I don't think it's such a big issue there. The key change happens when they move to the Platts, because their house, whose name <laughs> shall not be spoken. <laughs> Well, I've always called it Frudeshim, but I understand that's not quite right. No, no it's a Frudeshim, yeah. obviously. <laughs> or as my daughter pointed out, Frudesheim, because she actually did German. Oh, okay. I thought it was Frudesheim. I don't it's know. It's the actual... I, well, we don't know how to say it. So we're going to say the Maynard's house. We're going to say the Maynard's house, yes. So when they get that, I mean, that is a huge house. It's a former pension or guest house. With something like 20 bedrooms and six bathrooms, we will come on to the layout of the house later. So that's a much grander affair. And their household is much bigger. By the end of the series, their house has got around 22 people in, I think, when I totted it all up. Yeah, because it's quite a few. There's like, well, they've got 11 children. They've got 11 children and Jack and Joey. So that's 13 straight off. They've got Anna and Rosalie. That's two more. So that takes up to 15. Yeah. The three Richardsons living with them. That's 18. Um, Adrienne is living with them by then. 19. Um, Erica and Marie Claire. 21. That might be everybody. Sounds about right. By the end of the series, that might be everybody. So so that's that's a big household. It is. So they need all those bedrooms. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, they do. (laughs) Um, And they've got Stacey living with them in, in part of it as well. But again, we'll talk about that in more detail later. So it's a much, much bigger house. 
Um, so much greater household costs. They have a second home in the TNZ from after coming of age onwards. So again, that's another property to maintain and pay for. All their kids are being privately educated. I mean, my assumption was they wouldn't have to actually pay for their kids to go they to don't, the chalet they school. Don't, because, because, yeah, no, Joey says at one point, of course, the girls' education cost us nothing at present. So it's just the boys. And Steve and the oldest boy has Granny Maynard's money. Right. Or something. So And possibly there are scholarships as well. Yeah. So there must be um, some costs that, other people at the similar situation would have that they don't have like yes. private schooling and like um yes and i'm assuming like uniforms wise they don't have to buy new for all of the girls no there's quite a lot of handing down isn't there that does felicity's go not going to get a new dress is no she, she's basically? not no nine gingham frocks <laughs> waiting for her when she gets to the right size and presumably at every size there'll be yeah. nine gingham frocks waiting for her. although i'd have thought won't they be brown checky ones from when the girls were on in plus and on the island well anyway yeah, park that um right but there's various financial things going on at the point where they move to the plats so jack has by this time inherited pretty maids so that's the family's house and estate in the new forest in my head it's foxley's basically yeah <laughs> the girl guiding um residential place there that's the, the comparator i think i'm not sure we're told how big it is and how much of an estate it is. But it's an issue because there's the whole problem with Lydia about she's always resented the fact that since Rolf died, Jack was Bob's heir. So it's one yeah. of those. There must be something worth inheriting there. Now, at the, in changes to the chalet school, Joey says they are giving pretty maids to the National Trust, Lock, Stock and Barrel, which suggests they're just giving it away. Yeah. The National Trust aren't going to purchase it from them, I don't think. I don't know. But anyway, that doesn't happen. Because in Reunion... Um, there's reference to Pretty Maid, and it says the government is now using it. Oh, okay. Jack's letting the government use it. And that's, I mean, the government, I think, probably would be either purchasing it or renting it. Yeah. So there's some income has come in, or some capital has come in there. I think that possibly is what makes a holiday home in the TNSA more affordable, because yeah. it's it's a direct swap, kind of, isn't it? Mm. Um, and at some point, if memory serves, I think they do sell Plasquin as well in Armisher. Um, again, which is going to bring in capital or if they're renting it out and they certainly are renting it out for some of the time, that's bringing in income as well. So they've got property assets that are bringing in income mm. to the household. And then the SAN and the school are both profit making entities. Yeah. And about the time that they both arrive at the Platts, they're also limited liability companies. And I see no reason why both Jack and Joey wouldn't be shareholders in both yeah. So they're going to be getting dividend income from that. Yeah. In addition to whatever salary Jack is getting as head of the sanatorium, which isn't going to be insignificant. Yeah, I kind of assumed that his salary would be massive. Yeah. Because even a senior consultant earns above, you know, like four times average salary. Yeah. And then if he's head of the SAM, that's even more responsibility as well as doing some mm. doctoring. You have to do a lot of managing. So my assumption was that his uh, income would be quite significant yes. and be enough yes and also then there are side benefits like free education for the girls free medical care yeah as well from the sanatorium so i imagine all directors would get there all shareholders would get that you'd think you'd think you yes as a benefit so that, that's going on as well and then you've got jack's salary for income joey's books so she says she likes to write two a year 
So that's a reasonable output, that I is. think, two books a year. Um, 29 of her books are named within the series. And one of them, stop laughing, and one of them <laughs> is named as another Harbour School series book. Right. So if she's writing a series, there must be at least three yeah that. yeah it's not unless it's three or four it's not really yeah it's a not really a series right okay one of them is described as a bestseller because there are books for adults in there as well it's not just juvenile fiction that she writes and then one of her books there are discussions about the film rights in mystery at the chalet school oh okay, okay. so you know i mean we're not quite in jk rowling territory i don't think mm. but that suggests that's generating a reasonable amount of income i mean her first book was sold for either 30 pounds or 50 pounds for the copyright so that presumably isn't generating much more income for her from that. If she sold the copyright, yeah. I don't think she's going to get anything else from that one. But I suspect Jem will have stepped in and made sure there's a more profitable arrangement for her. It does depend, though. I mean, she might have retained a small amount of rights from that. If she sold the copyright for someone else to use it, but she can retain the buyback rights so they can't oh, okay. sell it to anyone else. That's a really common thing, I think, okay. with authors in their early steps. Because okay. it used to be that once you'd sold it, it's gone. Mm. Um, and recording artists particularly got stung by that but um i think authors had a very much better sort of legal okay. framework to work through so yeah. because of the the copyright ending 70 years after their death or whatever yeah there's a kind of so i don't know but also it'd be international sales it's not just no, british true. sales so um because it's set in Aus- you know the books are set in different places because she's writing historical yes, novels yeah she sets them in austria as well as and switzerland and, yes, and france yes. and stuff so i'm guessing there harper i'm guessing there'll be a market for that kind of thing mm. um and possibly in translation as well yeah so, so that could be a very profitable enterprise for her i feel i feel like she's probably got enough money for the the holiday home in the Tyrol just out of her money. But quite possibly. Probably wouldn't need the rest of it. <laughs> quite possibly. And, and actually how they kind of paid for all the houses that they ended up owning. Mm. I think it would have been a fairly even contribution or mm. certainly it's not all dependent just on Jack's income. No, no, no. And so, yes, yeah, so there are two income family with property assets and investment income streams. Yeah, and so, savings, you'd hope, as well. Oh, I mean, yeah, well found to be some and a bit of bonds or whatever you know like yeah sort of, yeah that uh, kind of thing money coming in well yes because there was some joey at the point when she was 21 probably will have come into her share of whatever their pair her parents left behind i would have thought um yeah that's interesting and and the kids that live with them the adoptees and the wards again, again i think will bring some form of recompense for their boarding costs from whatever finances they've got. Not Marie Claire, the, the baby, because she, I don't know, her the, family took ages to trace for a start. Um, but the others... The others would have come with a trust or something. Like Robin's dad had money yes, and yes, stuff, so there would have yes, been a trust there for yes. her support. And for Erica, you'd like to think, Adrienne, Robin picked up her, the costs associated with her. But also, I was thinking, in terms of costs, they've got the two sort of main helpers. They've got Anna and Rosalie. Yes. But then they don't really have any childcare costs as such because Joey's an author. She can work when she wants. So mm. they don't have to pay for childcare. And when they've got more little ones, they've got older ones around. Mm. So broadly, they don't really need to pay. Whereas if I was going to work 
I would have to pay yes, for child nursery costs. Yeah, or, or whatever. Wrap around care, yeah. And sometimes now that's more than the cost of your mortgage. Yeah. But at the time, it would still be a significant cost to have childcare, mm-hmm. to be able to have be a two parent working family. But for them, it's not a consideration because no, they've got living help. And she can fit it around other mm-hmm. stuff, mm-hmm. even though she's nearly always pregnant or has small babies. And just, two books a year. But yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> I just, I don't know. Well, yes. Wonder Woman. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it makes me think of. It's like, how, how can you... Yeah, I'm running a massive house with only two helpers and all those kids. Sometimes three. Because she has a mother's help, inverted commas, as well. That's right. what Beth Chester turns up to do in Barbara. Um, and then later, Maria Moraney, I think, comes to be her mother's help after Beth gets engaged and leaves. Don't we hear about that again, though? And she's still got... I suppose she's got fewer small children at home at the point where Beth's there, only the four oldest are at school, so there are four younger ones in the nursery. So she probably doesn't need a bit of help yeah. to knock out two books a year. But Yes. And plus whatever else she does, because I can't see her just sitting around. You know, she must be involved in other... Oh, she gets pokes her nose in the school and stuff, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what she does. Anyway, so in that context, yeah. I feel their lifestyle is not unsustainable. Yeah, it's not magical. No, it's not some magic. A wizard did it to give them this money to make this yes. all happen. It yes. seems it 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 has internal logic, mm. Mm. and they do sometimes talk about finances when during the war. I think it's when they're still on Guernsey. Joey makes reference to we'll all have to take in each other's washing or something so that we've all got an income. Yeah, um, and when they're flying back, no, they're not flying. They're travelling back to the UK for ooh somebody's wedding. I think Peggy's wedding. Um, and the weather's really bad. So Jerry says, right, we're flying from Paris. We're not going to attempt to cross the travel, to, across the channel. This is a wedding we're travelling to. Luckily, my publisher sent that lovely cheque through last week. So I'll go shags with you, Jack, on the fares for our crowd. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. I, that's not a phrase I've heard Before or since. <laughs> no. But that reference to the publisher's cheque having come through does you know suggests there's thought about cash flow and stuff and yeah. it's not automatically they can come up with the airfares for multiple kids. 14 people or whoever yeah, they've got in tow but yeah it's a lot <laughs> yeah well yeah. i suppose everything like cost less like it might not proportionately cost less but i mean like you know you could um like airfares were were expensive and were much more expensive mm. than because they talk a lot of times they say oh they're flying <gasps> kind of how well yes i mean the whole thing when mary lou asks oh, will we be flying out to switzerland when the school goes there and miss Anthony goes oh, dear child have you any idea how much it costs not a sausage says mary lou oh. yeah so but um, yeah so trains and buses weren't as expensive as mm. flying so and um, but things like cars weren't as expensive or as expensive to run mm. it's more the getting hold of the petrol and the parts that was the mm. problem rather mm. than the actual thing itself mm. um so yeah, I think they were more within reach, and properties weren't as expensive compared to the average salaries. That's true. So being able to buy, and also it, if the pension had closed because it wasn't profitable, and mm. they were looking to sell the building anyway, they probably would have got a good deal on it. Yes, I think, basically. Yes, because um, originally Jack was going to build them somewhere next to the school, and then luckily the pension Wellington <laughs> became available so. and I think with the Tyrol house this is just from memory so I'm probably wrong but I think he- they'd asked Herr Braun to look for somewhere for them yes and he said there's a good you know I think that he had it was... recommended it or something yeah they bump into the former violin teacher on a cliff top or mountainside or something and it comes from that because he's the current owner but he's looking 
to sell to sell yes and so it all works out perfectly for them and i mean that's a former school yeah that they're buying yeah it's pretty pretty decent size isn't it i did at one point go down a rabbit hole about compensation for property owners in the channel islands right (laughs) after the second world war um and that was in the hands of the channel islands various governments um that compensation scheme and they weren't keen on paying out to people who hadn't actually stuck around who had um disappeared off before the invasion right so so i doubt they'd have got anything yeah if they'd have left yes they'd left the island before the invasion so so i don't think they'd have got anything from that but they might have had property there that they could have at some point sold subsequently even if it wasn't worth as much if it had been damaged or fixed it and rented it out which yeah. you know either or they wouldn't necessarily have talked about that either because no might, it was a difficult time for joey uh yeah i think so yes i think that's fair to say and they'd moved on as well they're looking at other things if it sounds like we've stopped in the middle of our conversation there that's because we have After talking about Jack and Joey's finances, we spent so long talking about their home on the Platts that we've had to put that part of the discussion into its own episode. Of course, the two parts of the conversation were different lengths rather than splitting into neat halves. So the next episode, which should arrive in your feed on Boxing Day, will be longer. You have been listening to Top Hole, written and researched by Deborah Lofus with Wendy Norford. Production and music by Kit Lofus. You can email us at topholepodcast at gmail.com. Top Hole is a Lofus Towers production.